Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Ontario will spend the next four weeks under a province-wide stay-at-home order. To boil it down as simple as possible, folks, please, unless it's for an essential reason, please stay home because the situation is extremely serious and we just need to hunker down right now we need to limit mobility. Experts say a four-month interval between vaccine shots could mean 75% of Canadians will have their first dose by mid-June. That is under the jurisdictions of, of the provinces and territories. And I think you'd have to ask them, um, you know, how they, they see this rollout um, play out. But, you know, in terms of supplies expected, it will eventually be possible to, to shorten that interval. And Jagmeet Singh rejects some of the more extreme NDP policy resolutions, including scrapping the military. We've seen the military do incredible work in long-term care homes recently in that crisis. They were able to save lives. They cared for our seniors. In various crises we've seen, whether it's natural disasters, the military step up and provide lots of incredible support and help. And uh, I think it's, it's important to recognize the, the incredible work and service of the people that serve in the Canadian Forces. It's Thursday, April the 8th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. John, thank you for being with us today. Morning, Mark. Ontario has now introduced a four-week stay-at-home order after calls from public health officials in, in municipalities to take action, I think there's a sense that what the province had been doing up until then represented half measures and that more decisive action was required to stop the third wave. And it, I think it reflects a frustration people are having. Maybe it's the, the length of this pandemic, the expectation that by now things would be better. But there is a feeling out there, is there not, that governments should have done more sooner to stamp down this this in this uh, this virus this pandemic yeah i think there's a feeling that a year in we don't seem to have learned the lessons from the first and even the second waves i mean i think at the turn of the year it was apparent certainly apparent to me because i was seeing it happening in my hometown in scotland which had pretty much avoided the first and second waves but got really swamped with the third wave because of these variants and i think the variants were the the uh the, the fact that nobody factored into to what's happening now. Governments obviously have to, want to try and avoid lockdowns. I mean, there, there is massive criticism of the poor government right now, even among people who, you know, they're complaining about lockdowns, saying we should have locked down further back at the turn of the year. So there's an inconsistency among uh, in the public as well. But I, th I think the bottom line is that governments are not particularly well-structured for handling crisis like this and it, it, it applies at the provincial level and it applies at the federal level and i spoke yesterday to to some a senior public servant who's involved in the emergency management side of things and he said that the federal government in particular was completely unprepared for this pandemic that departments even though they have emergency plans often don't refer to them they certainly don't coordinate with other departments the one area of the, the federal government that's, that's meant to look at this is the Government Operations Centre, which is meant to be an umbrella across departments. And yet, it hasn't performed because there's no buy-in from, from each department. And he said, essentially, government works okay when it's routine business, when they're playing five-on-five five hockey, was the, was the analogy he gave. But, but when they're a man down 
or what if there's something that's out of the ordinary, then governments are not particularly well placed to cope with that. The culture is just not there. This fellow was saying that that uh, essentially there's a, a risk averse nature to, to to departments. Nobody wants to um, come up with a basic plan. And he says, you know, people say to me that nobody could have predicted this, but people did predict pandemics. Sure. And there should have been a basic plan, which which of ten points to say, well, let's see, here's, here's how we're going to handle the border. Here's how we're going to deal with the provinces. Here's how we're going to handle industry and businesses. And he said none of that was done. And this feeling was reflected in the Auditor General's report last month, I think it was, when she came out. That she essentially gave the federal government a pass mark when it came to handing out money. And and as my source was saying, well, that's the easy part of it. But when it comes to coordinating between departments and between jurisdictions, the government was caught flat-footed. And, and uh, the Auditor General, Carol, uh, Karen Hogan, said, after the fact, we need to take a look at this. And Erin O'Toole, the federal conservative leader, has said he would introduce a public inquiry. And even the, the health minister has said, yes, we'll look at this, although you do suspect that, uh, that uh, an inquiry led by the Liberals would, would not try and unearth too much evidence. But I do think that there is a, a real sense that the lack of accountability in the public service means that when something major like this, a major incident happens, there is critical failure in the way governments work. And it's not even a partisan thing. It doesn't really matter which government is in power. If the machinery of government doesn't work, then it doesn't matter who's, who's in charge. Hmm. What about the discussion around vaccines? Uh, there's been some debate over the last week about the interval between the first and second shot of some of the vaccines. Uh, the experts have now validated the idea of waiting four months, but it does mean while a lot of people are going to get vaccinated for the first time before the end of June, many people are not going to be vaccinated for the second time. In fact, most Canadians aren't until the end of the summer. Right. I mean, you know, that's evidence of failure because the only reason that anybody's proposing that is because there's not enough vaccine to go around. You know, Canada's doing middle of the pack when it comes to vaccine. If you look around the world, we're not doing as well as the UK, which is near, where nearly half of the population is vaccinated, at least with the first shot. We're not doing as well as the US, obviously, where a third of the population is, has been vaccinated. But but 16% of Canadians have, have had their first shot, and that's better than France or Germany or Italy. But we're now proposing to wait four months between shots. Now, other places have waited three months. Nobody's waited four months. And the only reason that anybody's proposing that is because we don't have enough to give two shots in the recommended period of time. All right, let's turn to uh, another topic. The NDP has its convention this weekend. The Liberals do as well, of course. Um, And Jagmeet Singh has been distancing himself from some of the more extreme policy resolutions that are coming forward. Um, I think some people will point out this is kind of the mirror image of what Aaron O'Toole has had to deal with it at the Conservative Policy Convention of a few weeks ago. Um, he, for example, Jagmeet Singh, has has said he doesn't agree with a, a resolution to scrap the Canadian military. Um, what do you think about some of the issues that he's having to confront as the convention approaches? Well, I think it is a mirror image of what Aaron O'Toole experienced at the, con- at the Conservative Convention, where, where O'Toole on the Friday night made a speech saying that he was going to take his party to 
closer to the centre where the voters are and try and lure over some, some liberal voters. And yet he was dragged, kicking and screaming back to the to the fringes by the party base, which then voted the next day to say uh, they didn't think, a majority said they didn't think that climate change is real. Singh has had some something similar going on. I mean, the convention, the NDP convention, it rarely disappoints when it comes to uh, off-the-wall resolution suggestions. Um, you know, this year, the um, suggestions include taxing all wealth over $1 billion at 100% which means that the NDP is in danger of losing the billionaire vote, I guess. <laughs> um, the uh, solidarity being expressed with Cuba and Venezuela, tearing down statues of Sir John A. Macdonald, because he's an architect of the policy of genocide, apparently. And then phasing out the Canadian Armed Forces and retraining its members as public transit workers and park workers. You know, that plus the usual pull-out of NATO, NORAD, every major trade deal... Uh, these things come up every NDP convention. Quite often, the more wacky ones don't make it to the floor to be voted upon. Rarely do they become policy adopted by the leadership, but they're always a sign that this is where the party's base is. And, it, and I do think it scares away moderate mainstream voters who look at, you know, they might look sometimes at somebody like Jagmeet Singh and think, well, I'm not enamoured with what Justin Trudeau's doing. Are there alternatives out there? Well, Singh seems like a nice guy, and then they take a look at the, what's behind him and go, maybe not. Um, you know, Singh is a good campaigner. I've looked at the the stats from the last election. He was polling at 13% in the month before the election was called. By the time that the election day rolled around, in the week before that, he was polling at an average of 18% in public opinion polls. You know, he's almost single-handedly dragged the NDP support level up five points. So, there's no reason why he can't do that again in a campaign, but I do think that the chances of a major breakthrough, the way similar to the one we saw with Jack Layton, is very difficult when you've got a, a the centre of gravity of your party is still further to the left than the party leadership. Mm. Is all of that good news for Justin Trudeau? Well, I do think that the, the, the bloom has come off the Trudeau rose. I mean, I don't think that there's any great enthusiasm for for what he's done over the past five, six years. Um, you know, this was, to me, the evidence of this was when, I, when uh, I was tweeting about homelessness, people feeling politically homeless. And then we conducted a poll and found that 57% of people feel poli- politically homeless. Now, I, I, I think that there is a disenchantment with with all of the major parties, but that many of them will end up voting, holding their nose and voting Liberal because they don't see a leader on the left or on the right that, that, that they find appealing. And even if they do, they're concerned about the uh, the party base, which is, seems more extreme than either of those leaders. So, you know, it's almost by default that Trudeau ends up almost in majority territory in the many of these polls, I think. Yeah. All right, John, great to have your thoughts on all of this today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks a lot, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. I'm declaring a state of emergency with a province-wide stay-at-home order, effective 12.01 a.m. Thursday. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the National Post, Matt Gurney argues government responses to the pandemic have been too late. Gurney writes... If there is one unifying theme across most of our Canadian government responses, it hasn't been getting the response wrong, per se. 
so much as getting it right or nearly so, but way, way too late. This is true of Ontario now. Doug Ford could have moved much faster to take meaningful action to combat the third wave. He didn't. And now Ontario faces a very real danger of its hospitals being overwhelmed before the newly announced public health measures will have time to take effect. In the Toronto Star, Peter Zhang argues attention must shift toward a COVID-19 vaccine strategy for those left behind. Zhang writes, From undocumented workers to the homeless, vulnerable people within hard-to-reach groups are highly mobile within their communities. Combined with a lack of visibility within the healthcare system, these groups face significant barriers to the implementation of a successful two-dose vaccine regimen. There is a risk that a second dose will fail to reach them. But by prioritizing widely approved one-shot vaccines for hard-to-reach groups, we can reliably protect them from the virus. In the Globe and Mail, Lawrence Martin considers how Canada benefits from Joe Biden's mammoth spending spree. Martin writes, The U.S. is playing catch-up with Canada on a wide range of initiatives, on child care, health care, assistance to Indigenous communities, climate programs, and more. With the sprawling infusion of infrastructure funds, there are potential dividends for Canada. We stand to benefit on electric car manufacturing, on clean energy exports, on enhanced trade corridors, and on cross-border rail projects. The potential gains are promising. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister and the President of Inuit Tapirit Kanatami, Nathan Obed, will co-chair the virtual meeting of the Inuit Crown Partnership Committee. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet will hold a news conference in Ottawa. Justice Minister David Lametti will take part in a virtual news conference to make an announcement on behalf of the Minister of Economic Development. Heritage Minister Stephen Gilbeau will make a virtual funding announcement about African-Canadian history education. Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominique Leblanc will hold a news conference to highlight the latest milestone in the construction management of the new Atlantic Science Enterprise Centre. Minister of Seniors Deb Schulte will announce funding to support the development of the national online knowledge hub Healthy Aging Core. And Government House Leader Pablo Rodriguez will hold a news conference to speak about support for several winter tourism organizations. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, April the 8th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.